So uh, today with us is Jesse Char, um, currently doing the Layers Conference, right? Absolutely, Layers Conference. And where's the website for that, Layers? It's layers.is or layers.is, however you want to pronounce that. Sweet. And uh, Jesse, you um, used to, you co-founded a iOS design company in the past, right? Yes, um, that was called Pacific Helm, um, and we did iOS design and development. It was small, but we had a lot of pretty awesome clients. Um, we worked with like Pantone and Airbnb and Target and a bunch of other cool companies like that. And then when did you start the Layers Conference? Um, I started the Layers Conference in uh, 2015. So we are um, we're about to produce our fourth event. And was it always like purposely opposite WWDC? Yeah, that was kind of the initial concept. So um, actually, when I was running Pacific Helm with Brad Ellis and Louis Mantia, we always used to host um, designer meetups during WWDC because thousands of people were coming uh, to town for dub dub, but not necessarily attending or maybe not attending all the sessions since um, a lot of the content is primarily geared towards developers. They do, of course, have design content, but it's it's a little on the lighter side. So there were a ton of designers in town, and these meetups that we would always have would like attract double the amount of people we had accommodations for. <laughs> so we kind of got in trouble with every venue that we booked because more like more and more people were trying to get in and. Um, and uh, at the time, we were um, we were our company was kind of being shadowed by an ethnographic researcher from Adobe um, named Charles Pearson, who is no longer at Adobe anymore. He's at he's at, at various other companies now. Um, but I was joking around with him about how I should just produce a design conference during WWDC because all the people are there anyway, and we might as well like make something more of it and. Uh, something beyond just getting super trashed at nighttime. Um, and I said that very in passing. And then a few years later, he kind of came back to me and was like, Hey, Adobe is interested in sponsoring that thing that you talked about. And I was like, Oh, Whoa. yeah, they brought me in for a meeting to, to talk about it, which I thought was going to be very casual. And it was instead a pitch meeting that I had to kind of do on the spot. But I guess I did it well, because they, um, they helped us fund our first year and have been sponsors ever since then. Um, not to promote Adobe too much, but they've been pretty awesome to us in the past. <laughs> um, How big is the conference like in terms of numbers? Is it like 200-ish, 500-ish? It's like between two and 300 every year. Um, it kind of depends, you know, on obviously like what our reach is for the year. But I'd say like 250 is like the good average size that the conference usually ends up being. So it's, you know, small, but a good amount of people. And then the conference is, the uh, Apple one moved down to San Jose, right? Yes, Apple moved down to San Jose last year, and we moved down with them, or oh. you know, followed them there. <laughs> Are you so, going to do it in San Jose this year too? Yeah. So last year was our first year in San Jose. We weren't sure how it was going to go because it doesn't quite have the the glam appeal of San Francisco. <laughs> but we actually really liked it because the weather was really nice. It was easy to walk around. Everything is flat and sunny. Um, so we're having it at the same venue, the Montgomery theater, uh, this year, which is like this really beautiful historic theater in the mid, in like the heart of downtown San Jose. Do people literally go to both? Like some people do, (laughs) which is a (laughs) lot of money, (laughs) but yeah, people go to both. Um, there are a lot of people who are maybe designers and developers or indies who get a lot out of both events. We've had, um, 
several people every year attend both. And like, I don't know how they do it because I actually, I always get a pass to WWDC as well. And I, so I guess by virtue of that, I also attend both and man, (laughs) it's exhausting, but I mean, there's a lot there. And if you can do it, if you have enough coffee and (laughs) brain power, it's, it's awesome to attend both. How long is the layers conference? Is it one day or is it several days? Um, so we refer to it as a three day conference. Um, it really starts like that Monday evening, um, with a registration party and then the talks take place all day, Tuesday and Wednesday of that week, which is June 5th and June 6th. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we close it out with a big party at the end. So it's like two, two full days of talks and then like a half day worth of like fun parties. And, and, uh, WWDC is Monday through Friday or Sunday? Yeah, I think it's Monday through Friday. They have their registration on Sunday. There's like a bunch of parties and events. Like it, Dub Dub is like, it's like pretty full. It's like the full span of the week. Yeah. They do so much stuff there. Huh. So yeah. And the keynote is always what, like Monday morning at 10 a.m. probably? Oh, yes. Always like clockwork. If they ever changed that, I'm sure that people would be very <laughs> upset. Um. So uh, I guess we're not here to talk about any of that today, but um, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about um, Disney stuff. Um, uh, you are part of a, a group of uh, of people, friends, designers that uh, all are into Disneyland, Disneyland parks. You know, some of our friends have podcasts together. Um, and I noticed you on Instagram and started doing more Disney stuff and you actually split it to a new account and I was like, Ooh, that's kind of like serious. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, I, I, uh, you know, I'm into this stuff somewhat and, uh, I just thought it'd be fun to talk about. Um, so like, where do we start? Uh, like how did you first, fi- how did you first fall in love with Disney stuff? Well, I, um, when I was really young, um, I lived in a city called Santa Ana, which is about 10 minutes away from Disneyland. Um, born in Long Beach, moved to Santa Ana. So I'm like kind of an orange County person, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, so from the ages of like three to 10, I lived 10 minutes away from Disneyland. Like we could watch the fireworks from our backyard. That's how close we were to it. And back then, like in the early nineties, um, you could get, annual passes for $99 a year. So, uh, you know, for my parents, it was like the obvious thing because like what satisfies a child, like a small child more than just like going to Disneyland whenever, um, it was super close. It was pretty affordable. And so I used to go all the time, um, with my parents, with my grandmother, um, it was kind of like a weekly event for us. Like we would go there for dinner or we would just go there in the (laughs) evening, um, (laughs) And so that was my first entry into it. I kind of grew up there. It was like my stomping grounds as a child. Um, And then my parents very brutally moved us away from Disneyland. They moved us up to Washington State. Oh, God. um, When I was younger. And it was just, it was horrible. And then I just didn't go for years and years. Um, And then uh, however many years ago, let's say like within the last decade, I started going again because like, you know, when you're an adult who has an income, then you can do whatever you want. And for me, it was just going back and going to Disneyland, the same thing that I did when I was a child. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Was there ever a time when you were a kid that it was like rare and exclusive or did you just grow up soaking in it with your passes? If there was a time that it was rare and exclusive, I don't remember it. um, (laughs) Unless you count like my teenage years. So really like, you know, the ages of 10 to 
to 18 or whatever when I was not able to just go because I didn't live anywhere near it. And it's pretty expensive now to, to travel to Disneyland and stay there and pay for the tickets. Yeah. Um, so those were like kind of the dark, the dark years. And so inst- <sighs> I just like uh, replaced it with like practicing cello a lot, which is like not really as fun. I guess it's valuable in some way, but like whatever. Um. <laughs> so did you have a moment uh, as an adult where you know, like you revisited it? Like uh, your your experience mirrors a lot of mine. I grew up mm-hmm. 20 minutes away in northern Orange County, um, but I only went to it, you know, once every couple of years. And then one year, I think in eighth grade, we had a year pass. So it was like every Saturday night we went and then we didn't do that forever. And then I didn't go for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you come back as an adult, um, like, w- did you have the epiphany of, like, um, especially working in design and stuff, that, like, holy shit, they do a pretty good job at this? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think that, like, you know, when you're a kid, you're paying attention to all the rides and the characters and the snacks and churros and everything like that. And obviously, like, it's wonderful and there were there were some subtle design things like the the way that the music kind of follows you around and everything feels very seamless like traveling from land to land um, that I did notice um, when I was younger. But when I was an adult and I went on my like first friends adults trip, I think in my early twenties, um, the things that I started loving about Disneyland were like queue management and the way that they like when a parade is about to happen like all of the cast members which is what they call the employees who work at Disneyland like are just so good at setting everything up and like redirecting like tens of thousands of people um without it feeling like tens of thousands of people are being recorralled um I just think about like, there was one time I live in San Francisco, kind of close to Union Square. And there was like a Christmas tree lighting ceremony that I got stuck in. And I was like getting like trampled and jostled by like very tall men. And it was so uncomfortable and honestly, probably dangerous. And it's just like, that's how normal things are. But at Disneyland where there's way, way more people, um, and way more, I guess, motivation for people to get the most out of what they're doing there. Like there aren't really any problems like that. Like everything is pretty solved. They do a great job. Everybody there is really happy. And it was just those little details of just like operational smoothness that became like super incredible to me as an adult. Did you go to um, uh, California Adventure early on? And, and Ooh, I didn't go to California Adventure until 2005. That's I think. still kind of early. Kind of was... early. A lot of the original wacky stuff <sighs> that they did was not there anymore, but yeah. it was definitely like significantly cheesier than it is now and weird (laughs) and like a lot of head scratchers. And in fact, like, you know, I went there when I was 18 and even, even then I was just like, what is this supposed to be? I hated it. I used to hate California adventure. Now I love it. (laughs) Yeah. It was like cheesy carnival-y the first time I saw it, but it's interesting to see them make a new park with these sort of crowd management ideas in mind. Uh, I've sort of seen it evolve and it's sort of like, it's kind of like a great place now and super fun, especially having an older kid uh, as a daughter. Like she loves that side more than Disneyland because she's sort of grown out of, you know, the other side. But uh, yeah, like they're very good at people flow there. Oh, they're so good at it. And I mean, like, obviously there's going to be situations where there are crowd crunches and you're getting knocked into by angry stroller people. <laughs> <laughs> but um but considering how many people there are and how much money each of those people are spending on like crafting their perfect 
you know, family vacation, like people are super well behaved. Like they foster, they managed to foster such a positive environment with so many different humans. It's very, very impressive. Yeah. It's yeah. They really strike a good middle balance there. Um, Mm -hmm. about how often do you go these days? Ooh, (laughs) I probably go a couple days every month. I don't even live in Southern California. It's (laughs) It, it makes no sense. I mean, it makes a ton of sense to me. Well, I get we down live in a lot. time of $50 flights and stuff. Like. Exactly. So I have an annual pass, um, which gets me in most days of the year, save for, you know, Saturdays in the summertime. But um, my business partner, Elaine Pau, who co-organizers, co-organizes layers with me, um, she lives in Long Beach, which is about like 25 minutes away from the park. And um, we, we like commute up and down to work with each other. So every time we're working down in Long Beach, it has to include several trips to Disneyland, <laughs> which can be as thorough as like a full day in the park or just like going in for dinner and a parade or literally just sitting on a park bench eating a churro and like watching people pass by. <laughs> I was going to ask, what is your, uh, let's say you have four hours to kill. What's going to, what would be your perfect four hours there? <laughs> I feel like you need to be more specific. Is this like four <laughs> hours in the morning? Is it midday? <laughs> like what day of the week is it? Who I went? It's so different, but I'd say like, let's say, let's say you're asking me four hours midday, like noon sure. to four, I'm going to go in, I'm going to, probably grab some sort of like either cold or hot beverage, whatever the weather calls for. And I'm going to go and sit on the Mark Twain, like that big white riverboat. Oh, wow. I'm going to do that a couple times. I really like riding that boat. It's not the most popular ride at Disneyland by any means. There's always space on it. There's never a wait for it. But it's one of my favorite things because um, you really feel like you're somewhere else. And I mean, like, it's cool. You're on a real boat having a real boat ride on a fake river, but it doesn't look fake when you're on the real boat. Like it feels fully real. I just, I love it so much. It's one of my favorite places there. Um, I'm definitely like a a little bit of a ride monster. I love all of the roller coasters, um, but I don't do those every time. I kind of save those for when I'm feeling like I need that adrenaline rush. Otherwise I very, very chill at Disneyland. I love just finding places to sit and people watch and just kind of exist there it's like my central park (laughs) (laughs) do you have a a a realistic worry in your mind that if you ever like retired (laughs) you just go there every single day just to live in it (laughs) like (laughs) yeah i'm kind of already there matt (laughs) 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 who is like the famous the thinking machines guy like helped invent java not bill joy the other guy um Danny Hillis, I think. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think he, he like helped start Sun and a whole bunch of companies and he's very famous for lots of early Silicon Valley stuff. But I remember reading his, his life story in some book and um, I think he got fired famously from some Apple or Sun or something and he spent six months going to the park and just sitting on a bench. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, it, and in the book, it was made to sound like how pathetic his life had become, like everything <laughs> went wrong and like, and then he went and did something great afterwards. But for the six months, you know, he stalled his life and I just kept going, that'd be so fucking rad. Like, it is. I don't know. Yeah, that's not a failure at all. <laughs> <laughs> the only true failure is calling that a failure in life. Like if you can just, if you have the means to just sit on a park bench or do whatever the F you want every single day, like that seems like the true 
meaning of success to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm a very lazy person. So, yeah. so um, uh, like, how deep into the Disney stuff are you? Um, uh, <laughs> I know you've, you, you've traveled to all the other parks, right? Or most of them? Um, you know, I haven't been to Disney World, which everybody's very surprised with since that's in our own country. Yeah, um, but, but I, I mean, yeah, I've never been to Florida in my life, but yeah. Yeah, Florida <laughs> freaks me out. It seems like knockoff California and that it's sinking. Every time I look at a map of Florida, I'm just like, that doesn't look safe. It doesn't look safe. There's alligators or crocodiles or whatever. The weather's always like way worse than here at any yeah, time. Yeah, it's always some like extreme form of weather. Like, I don't know. I'm a California person, so it freaks me out. Um, but I have been to um, Tokyo Disney Sea, Tokyo Disneyland, and Disneyland Paris. Nice. And Tokyo yeah. Disney Sea is—is it as great as everyone says? Oh yeah, it's so much better than everybody says. It's just wow. very hard to understand the like level of detail until until you're there. It's like every square inch of that place is themed. There's nothing missing from it. It's just incredible. I wonder if they make money there because it sounds like they just had a blank check when it came to design it. Yeah, I mean, so the uh, so those parks, I believe, and I may be using the language around this incorrectly, so nobody quote me on this, but um, those parks are actually owned by a company called the Oriental Land Company, OLC, and OLC basically commissioned Disney to build Disney parks there. So it's almost like they're franchised parks which you would never guess from being inside it because it really just feels like the ultimate culmination of everything Disney and Imagineering has ever been about. It's so incredible being there. I guess that makes a lot more sense. I had heard that they were franchises owned by like whoever owns um, Tokyo Disneyland, but mm -hmm. I assume they hired their own designers, but then it would have looked all wacky. So that, yeah. I guess that makes sense. They paid Disney to build it for them. Yes. <laughs> Good move. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone listening, if they didn't already know this story, Disney Sea was originally supposed to be in Long Beach, right? Around the yeah, Queen, Queen gonna, Mary, sort of? Yeah, it was like there was a Long Beach concept that was like something like Disney Sea. I think they were calling it Westcott, which was like a pan <laughs> Epcot. And for whatever reason, Long Beach was like, no, we don't want that, which was a, a terrible mistake. What a ugh, Long Beach man. <laughs> I, I mean, you're supposed to go to Disneyland for a day or two, then, you know, take a 20 minute shuttle and get on a boat and go on a cruise to Mexico or whatever. Right. Yeah. Would have been so cool. Yeah. And two parks that would. Yeah, that would have been remarkable. And I guess they sort of try this in Florida. I know friends that go on Disney cruises and they end up, you know, going to the parks for a day or two. And then there's some sort of shuttle to the coast. But it's pretty far. Mm -hmm. um, about uh, so, uh, I want to talk to you specifically about. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Maybe two years ago, I was on a trip to Disneyland and I saw someone wearing something that was sort of. I know there's like a. There's a I've heard there's a strict no costumes rule. Um, no costumes. I think above the age of fourteen right. or something. But okay. yeah. Like, you don't want, and it makes sense, it's a practical rule, like you don't mm -hmm. want kids to be confused by someone, an adult dressed as Cinderella, that they're not working at the parks. And yeah, I get it that. can be very confusing. And I remember, like, going to Disneyland and seeing, like, a girl dressed like, um, I guess maybe it was Snow White, and she was wearing primary colors, and it was just kind of evocative of Snow White without being a costume. Mm -hmm. And then I later found out this is called bounding, right? 
Yes, Disney bounding. It's a huge thing. Yeah, there are like celebrities who do like real celebrities who do Disney bounding now. Um, and it's yeah, it's like the way of circumventing the no costume rule. So you can dress um, dress similarly to a character, which is often color blocking like modern day or vintage clothing in a way that looks like a Disney character, but would not confuse a small child. So for Snow White, you know, you could wear a yellow skirt and a blue shirt and some sort of like a red cardigan or something like that. And it is very obviously Snow White, but it uh, like inspired, but not, um, not Snow White specific. Um, I was surprised to see it on the Disney blog, like, the last time I looked at it, last summer when I was, like, planning a trip. uh, They had, like, bounding ideas for this summer, and I was like, oh, my God, they're, like, totally um, supporting it and approving it. Yeah, I mean, I think that Disney has figured out that a lot of their dollars are coming from, like, young people who are just going with their friends um, and not exclusively families. So really any opportunity they have to encourage people to get into the parks and pay for all those churros and, you know, have a fun time dressed up, they are taking advantage of, which is very, very smart. Um, But yeah, it's a very, it's not an official Disney thing, but it's very widely accepted by Disney. And do you do that uh, from time to time? I have before. Yeah. Of course, why not? Um, <laughs> Do you would you shop specifically for new items to fit that mold, or find it in your current closet? Um, a little bit of both. So I have um, I for those of, for those listeners who who don't know me, I am a pretty girly dresser. I own like you know hundreds of dresses and stuff like that. So I obviously have a pretty big. Um, collection of clothing to pull from, um, but which does not stop me from shopping for new clothes. But I definitely do have some like Disney bounding pieces and stuff that I've done before. Snow White is an easy one. I got several yellow skirts for that. Um, and we've done some more intricate ones as groups. I um, have a large group of friends. We all did a Disney bound as the Mickey Mouse Club oh um, my God, a year that's... or two ago. It was. <laughs> Very epic. Um, I'll it was use with a photo the... of that for this uh, podcast image. <laughs> yeah, it is the. You guys look like the fucking Reservoir Dogs in it. Like it's. Like, I know. <laughs> so that good. was oh my gosh! That shopping for those everything we were trying to be so specific about everything, and of course, like Louis Mantia and Alexa Grafera of Parakeet Design Studio were like a part of that as well, and like. <sighs> When you have that particular group of people, like there are, you can't cut any corners. Everything had to be exact. I think that Louis like designed a custom typeface that exactly matched like the shirts of the first Mickey Mouse Club. It was oh it was God. bananas, and <laughs> it was great. What did the what did the tour guide think of you guys when you showed up? She was just like, "Oh, you guys are matching." I don't I don't really think she got it. Not everybody wow. got it. Some people really got it. Like one woman who like works at the hat shop on Main Street was like in tears and so <laughs> excited to see us. Like so it was, you know, all different levels. <laughs> but we felt pretty cool. <laughs> I just love the the sort of deadpan faces in all the photos I saw. Like that just sold it for me. Yeah. <laughs> like Gotta whose idea cool. was that? <laughs> so much of disneyland trips are like being just so dumb with your friends and like things that i would just never ever consider doing in the real world are you know but in disneyland i'll wear super weird clothes and you know matching outfits with friends and then suddenly it doesn't feel stupid at all it feels cool (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know if it's cool or not, but I enjoy it. So, uh, what do you think of the other weird trends that happen there? Like, um, I keep seeing the uh, like uh, gangs, like fake gangs of people uh, that go there. The social often. clubs—they're called social clubs. Ah. So, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, there are a lot of groups of people you you may see walking around Disneyland wearing like kind of like biker outfits, like denim vests but like covered in tattoos but like everything is disney themed Mm -hmm. um and it's a little weird and you're like who are these people is this a biker gang and the answer (laughs) is like kind of they're called social clubs and there are a bunch of them at disneyland they all have specific names they all have specific crews and two of them are entangled in a lawsuit right now for feuding which is crazy (laughs) yeah it's like i can't remember what they're called but it's like the white rabbit social club and like Firehouse 55 or something like that. It's just so weird to see the all of these subcultures like becoming so much of a thing that they're actually like feuding like the sharks and the jets or something. Yeah, I was going to um, ask if they actually fight, but suing each other is the Orange County version of that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, there's like the dapper people so Mm. anybody who's like dressed up in like super beautiful vintage retro styles is like called dapper fashion at disneyland um trying to think of like what other subcultures there are oh yes bat day or bats day i don't know if it's plural or singular but it's like a bunch of like goth people who like wear all of their goth attire and have black parasols and like do a takeover over of the park um which is very very interesting to see as well um, it's interesting to see the park embrace it, especially like, um, I think they tell you that the, like the golf day is overlapping with your trip when you're planning. And uh, it seems like they're embracing like that, um, the out sort of days, like the pride days. Um, yeah, absolutely. Pride day, they embrace Dapper day. Um, sometimes I think like, especially for pride day, like Disneyland sells special merch and has like rainbow balloons and stuff like that. So they... I think that they really encourage the community around Disneyland, which again is very, very smart of them to do because it keeps people coming. It makes people feel really welcome. Um, and those days are very, very popular at the parks. I was recently at Dapper Day and it was pretty amazing to see, like, I'd say that at least, at the very least, 10% of the people in the park were dressed up in, in retro attire, which like, Whoa. you know, doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're thinking like one out of every 10 people is doing this when you're, you know, in a park with 40,000 people or however many people were in the park that day, it's quite a lot. Um, they really get a lot of crowd and attendance from events like that. And it makes it really fun. It makes it something different. It makes it, you know, a reason to go back and experience something different, um, which is super wonderful. If we had to uh, give people tips, like what would you say the best food in each park is on the uh, West Coast there? Oh my God, I could speak for hours about this. (laughs) Um, So Disney parks have like two kinds of dining options. One of them is quick service, which is like you go, you know, you wait in a line, you go up to a counter, you order something and they give it to you. And then there's table service, which is obviously like you get seated at a table, they give you a menu, you have a waiter. 
Um, all the table service dining requires a reservation, which you can book up to 60 days in advance, I think. Um, and quick service is just like, you just go there. And I think that they're implementing a new like order ahead thing with the app. So the, like kind of like Starbucks. So you can just like order what it is that you want and pay for it through the app and then like go and pick it up at a counter, which is going to be super great. They're really, really good at, um, at cutting down on line wait times for guests. But I'd say, like, my favorite table service in the park in Disneyland is, like, Blue Bayou, obviously. That's the one that kind of <laughs> takes place inside of Pirates of the Caribbean. It's really beautiful. You feel like you're on this, like, outdoor patio in New Orleans with all these, like, cafe lights above you. It's so pretty. Um, it's very expensive, you know, like $60 a person or something for a prefix, but it's very cool. Must do at some point. Um, but my favorites are Carnation Cafe, Oh wow! which, which is on main street. Um, it's like kind of on the casual side, you get like a turkey sandwich or like a fried chicken dinner or something like that. And yeah, I was say, are they famous for the chicken? Is that them? No, that one is Plaza Inn. Oh, okay. Plaza That's Inn the way. is the one. Yeah. It's kind of near the entrance to Tomorrowland. They have great fried chicken. It's quick service. So it's like cafeteria style. You just go in and grab whatever it is you want. And there's a secret of, of the fried chicken, which is that you don't have to order the entire fried chicken meal. You can just buy one piece of fried chicken for three ninety nine. It's a secret. Ooh. I'm feeling it here I right now. I didn't know it was a quick service. I thought you had to get reservations to get the to the fried the famous fried chicken place. Huh. Yeah, the reservations are only for the princess. No, not princess breakfast. I think it's regular like character breakfast in the morning, which is like a breakfast buffet. But then after that, for the rest of the day, it's quick service, and you can get that fried chicken anytime you want. Hmm. I'm gonna hit it next time. Yeah. What is, what is your favorite <laughs> weird quick service meal? Favorite weird quick service meal. Ooh, uh, gosh, what's weird? Um, like I found what outside of Haunted Mansion is the thing on the water where you can get a oh, lobster Oh, Harbor Galley? Yeah, you're like, not supposed to be telling people about that. That's my <laughs> hidden spot. <laughs> no, that is one of my favorites because there's nobody ever there. <laughs> like getting a halfway decent lobster roll in Disneyland wasn't something I ever planned to do, but it's yeah. there. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. And my favorite thing to do at Harbor Galley is um, for the, let's see, if if you're there on a day where they have a phantasmic show happening, which is like the nighttime water spectacular mm -hmm. um, in New Orleans Square, um, there's this big like pirate ship called the Columbia that is docked at Harbor Galley, that restaurant. And you can watch them like set it up for the Fantasmic show, which is super amazing to see. So I like grab a salad, sit at Harbor <laughs> Galley, and just watch like dozens of people like turn this like regular pirate ship into like a haunted pirate ship. Um, the thing that's amazing about it though is that like you know it's a Disneyland ship. It's on some sort of a track in a fake river, but the ship is like for all intents and purposes like a real ship. So all the pulley systems and like rope ladders are real, and they use all of that stuff to like store stuff and and hoist stuff out from the bottom of the boat. And like it's really cool to watch because you realize that like there's a level of authenticity that Disneyland brings that I think a lot of people who haven't been like just assume, you know, everything is super fake. Everything is super manufactured, but like the ships that they have are real ships that could go out into real water and like, you know, do their job. Um, so wow. yeah, that's, you know, not food related kind of, but Harbor <laughs> Galley, great place. Get the lobster rolls. They also have like a lobster chip thing. It's like a potato chip nachos with lobster on it. And it's very good. 
<laughs> and what was some of your favorite sit down places? Um, aside from, uh, Blue Bayou, uh, Carnation, actually Cafe Orleans is like one of my favorite places too. And that's also in New Orleans square. They have amazing French fries. Oh my God. Those French fries. (laughs) They're like covered in cheese and garlic and I could just eat them all day long. I tell parents always, um, that's like one of the best quiet places to have a lunch. Like when you have Mm -hmm. a kid running around, there's noises everywhere. Just like Mm -hmm. pausing for 45 minutes in the middle of the day to just chill out. There's usually a jazz band or something there. And it's like so relaxing and it's it's not very busy and it's usually chill. Yeah. You got to give your brain a break. Yeah, there are a lot of spots. And, you know, over in California Adventure, there's like a whole like not really a food court because it's outdoors, but they have like... A Mexican place and an Asian place, which I don't think that the Asian one, Lucky Fortune Cookie Cookery, is very good. But like yeah, non-Asian yeah. people are okay with it, so like <laughs> you know that's cool. And what's the uh, <laughs> Carthay Circle? Is that the place? Carthay Circle is like the fancy one. Yeah. I can't say that I've had super great meals there, but they do have a lounge that doesn't require reservations, and they have like real cocktails, and the cocktails are good. And snacks and stuff. And that's like a really nice place to just go and sit. Usually like when it's the hottest time of day, like from around three to five, um, cause it's not super crowded. You can get like an old fashioned and sit in like an old timey lounge and it's very, very pleasant. Yeah. I was gonna say they have great cocktails. Um, yeah. What is your favorite weird, what's in those, those cozy cones? Um, there's always, Oh my gosh, the cozy food. cones. <laughs> Let me talk about the cozy cones. <laughs> So in Cozy Cone number one, they have like <laughs> my favorite. There's like five of these, you guys. I won't go through all of them. Um, they have my favorite drink that's in, like non-alcoholic drink in Disneyland, which is the pair of dice soda. And it looks like this like horrific like magenta sugar bomb, but it's actually a really good refreshing drink. I think it's better than the mint julep, which everybody talks about. And it's like a pear mint soda. It's so good. Pear There's never a lie. And it's not super sweet. It's not super sweet. And you can also ask for it with less syrup uh, because it's just like a syrup in club soda. But it's very, very good. Wow. Um, the And then all the way at the other end at Cozy Cone 5 is the Pop Cone, which is like the popcorn one, obviously. And they have flavored popcorn. So you can get um, so you can get like a buffalo sauce, like spicy buffalo popcorn, Parmesan garlic popcorn, pizza flavored popcorn, sriracha flavored popcorn and then my favorite dill pickle flavored popcorn yes i've had that that is amazing yeah it's so good (laughs) and then in the middle there's like you know like bread cones with chili in them and the lines are always long so i don't bother but i'm all about the (laughs) pear of dice soda and the dill pickle popcorn do they rotate like new stuff in ever in those things not very often. Um, sometimes during usually like a summer special event, they do have some like special featured items. So right now it's the champion corn cup at the popcorn, which is really just like a few spoonfuls of canned corn and mayonnaise and Parmesan cheese sprinkled onto it. And it's yeah. supposed to be like elote. And it's like, whatever. <laughs> um, not, a, you know, it can't all be winners. They have like a spicy <laughs> turkey meatball cone right now at the, at the middle, I think at cone number three. Um, or four. I don't remember the numbers anymore. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I should know this better. <laughs> I like that they have a place for like food experimentation because it's. Oh, they do. They do it all over right now. Um, one of the coolest ones that they have, which is like not the best tasting, but is a totally decent meal is um, at the Lucky Fortune Cookery, which I just like 
slammed on for not having great Asian food. They do have this really cool noodle dish. It's like a noodle salad. And the noodles are like these kind of translucent purple noodles. And when you squeeze like the lime dressing onto it, the noodles turn pink. They like change color right before your eyes. And it's super amazing. And it's, you know, (laughs) it's pretty cool that they're doing like a Vietnamese noodle salad that's like themed for Pixar Fest and changes color. Like it's very magical. It's clearly a very inexpensive way to do things because I think that they just boil the noodles with red cabbage and then that's oh. what like makes that cool chemical effect happen. But they do a lot of weird stuff, weird experimentation with flavors and foods and they're getting better at it because I think there's a lot of Disney food bloggers now who are covering <laughs> all this stuff and it's just like another way to bring people into the parks multiple times per year. Yeah. Um, how has it been with the uh, Star Wars land going up? Is like the river back? Like, can the you river's go around back. Um, yeah, everything is pretty much back in place and they have it really sectioned off. Um, you know, that construction area, it's not like imposing on Disneyland anymore. So you can kind of like if you're there and you're on um, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, you can like see over the, the highest peak when you're like going on that ride you can like see all of this the construction for star wars land and it's pretty epic looking um quite excited for it i'm very worried that it's going to make disneyland more crowded than it is able to handle because disneyland is already a very very crowded place without a star wars property or i mean they have star wars stuff there but without you know galaxy's edge the star wars land there it's going to be absolutely insane yeah, I was kind of wondering why they didn't put it on California Adventure side because it seems to have more room. But yeah, or just like make another separate Star Wars park for it, which like in in the industry, which I'm not even a part of, we call that a third gate. So like each <laughs> each each ticketed park is like called a gate. So like Disneyland Resort is a two gate resort. Um, Disney World, I think it's like four or five gates. I haven't been. I don't even know how many parks are there. <laughs> Tokyo is two gates. So everybody was like, why didn't they just put a third gate up? Which is like a normal thing to say if you're a Disneyland weirdo like me. But (laughs) all this lingo. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been smart. Jesus. They could have like hooked it to a hotel or something like they do on the other side. Mm -hmm. So I guess if people want to get into Disneyland, what do you... uh, or visit these parks. Like, what is your advice when people go, I feel bad when people go, I have one day, you know, I'm down in Southern California for some stuff. And, you know, what should I do? Um, Because I'm always like, if you could go two days or three days, that would be way better. And you can be chill about it. Mm -hmm. But what would you tell people for a one day trip? For a one day trip, I'd say... There's a lot of advice that people give where it's just like, oh, go on a Tuesday because it's the least crowded or like go on this day. And I used to be like that and recommend like weekdays, but I don't believe in that anymore. (laughs) I've changed. Um, I think go any day of the week because the the reality of it is that like you're never going to be able to guess how crowded it is, what the weather is going to be like. And I think that placing a lot of focus on like trying to like achieve the perfect day in the park before you get there is just setting people up for potential disappointment. Um, Because, you know, you might go on a Wednesday, but it might be like a Wednesday where there's like grad night and it's crawling with teenagers or like whatever. Like, so all of that planning then just feels like useless and you get to the park and you're grumpy that it's filled with (laughs) like tons of people. So I'm like, go whatever day you can go. Go whatever day you're free, whatever, you know, whenever tickets are cheap to fly down or whatever. 
and, um, and start from there. So I'd say like, if it's a super crowded day and you're like, F these lines, I don't want to be waiting in the sunshine for all this stuff. Then like, just take that as an opportunity to just wander around and like do a lot of exploring because the park is, I mean, I've been there like literally hundreds of times, which is uh, slightly embarrassing to admit. Um, (laughs) But I see new stuff all the time, which is super crazy. Like I see new things, I discover new details and it's a really fun place to just kind of go and wander around and look at weird stuff and just, you know, go in without any sort of agenda. So like, that's a thing that you can do if the park is really crowded. That way you're not going to feel the crush of the lines. You're not going to feel the crush of the crowds. You just kind of like explore the area and make all these fun little discoveries. If the park is not super crowded, then go on every single ride as many times as you can, because like take advantage of that while that opportunity is there for you. Um, but it's really, you know, just like do, do whatever makes the most sense for, you know, your attitude. Um, which is like, if you're grumpy about like paying a lot of money for subpar food, like you can bring your own food into the parks. They let you bring beverages and food in, Um, you know, don't bring like a bottle of vodka, maybe put it in a water bottle first. So they they can't see what you're bringing in, but like you can bring food in. Uh, You don't have to pay for that stuff. You know, if you hate lines, like don't go on long line rides, just like go on the ones that are short because I think that everything is like pretty cool to see. Um, but yeah, it's really just, you know, do whatever feels right. And don't like try and force anybody else's, um, experience or favorite rides or favorite thing to do in the park on yourself. I think it's just like going in with an open mind and the intention of having a nice time. I think that's uh, really valuable. What you said about, um, don't go with expectations or because there's a site called touring plans, I think, which Mm -hmm. does a pretty good job of estimating crowd levels. And if you go on a dead day and if it's kind of busy, because of something um you get due to get disappointed i'm thinking back to the greatest trip i ever took was like a tuesday in november and it was like a couple days after my mom's funeral and we just had days to kill before we had to fly back and Mm -hmm. that was the first time i went as an adult was my grandmother's funeral i was in like the whole family had gathered and regathered in southern california and like me and like a 25 year old cousin was like the hell are you doing thursday like i don't why don't we go this is weird but let's go to disneyland like yeah <laughs> and we had like the greatest time but the time i did it in november on a tuesday my god i ran on every ride and i wasn't expecting it at all it was yeah just, it was the greatest day and that ever kind of stuff definitely still happens like i've had a few trips this year so far where it's been totally empty and i went on space mountain six times in a row and it was like a wonderful wonderful time but like you just nobody can ever go in with that sort of expectation because it's rare that those are the kind of things where you can't plan where it's just like oh it just happens to be like this holiday and the weather is just such that people don't want to go outside or I, I, what I find is that year over year, because now I have like years of Disney madness under my belt. Um, <laughs> there's this thing where like, I think that Super Bowl Sunday every other year is really, really crowded or really, really empty because everybody's like, Oh, go on Super Bowl because nobody's there. And then that next year, everybody goes on Super Bowl Sunday and it's super, super crowded. Yeah. And then people are like, never go on Super Bowl because it's too crowded. And then nobody shows up the next year. So it's like <laughs> things go in cycles. You can't really predict like, you know, what people are going to do. I mean, 
look at the 2016 election. None of us <laughs> saw that one coming. So how can you how can you better predict crowds at Disneyland? <laughs> Is it worth going all the way to Tokyo to see Disney Sea if you like Disney parks in America? Yes. Oh, abs. Oh my God, absolutely. And I'd say like you know. I I have to say, like, it's worth going all the way to Tokyo to go to Tokyo because Tokyo is the best city in the world, in my opinion. I Well, it's my favorite city in the world. Other people have different, you know, axes of whatever they care about. Um, but I think that it's so amazing. And I didn't even used to be a person who really believed in, like, going to other parks because it's like if you're in Paris – go and be in Paris. Don't go and be in Disneyland. Like I used to think it was really stupid. And now I'm, I'm like, Oh, if you're going to be in Paris, like go to Disneyland Paris for a day, check it out. Cause it's really, really beautiful and a fun thing to do. So yeah, I, I think that out of all of the parks in the world, Tokyo Disneyland and, and Tokyo Disney sea are like the ones to experience. That's how amazing they are. And it's worth taking a day off of Tokyo itself to go and see those parks. That's rad. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any final parting Disney thoughts? <laughs> so <laughs> the fun thing about Disneyland, the reason that I'm afforded to go there so often is because um, Elaine and I actually have our annual passes as a company expense. That's right. <laughs> we use it as layers research. <laughs> we write it off. That's why I can go so often. Everybody's just like, are you a millionaire? How do you go to Disneyland every day? It's because of annual passes and because our company pays for it. And annual passes are like $600. So it's not the worst. Um But it's really amazing, like, going to Disneyland, you know, it seems like such a fun and recreational thing, but there are a fair amount of, like, concepts that we kind of take and and put towards the way that we organize layers. And that is not to say that layers is anywhere near the level of, like, how amazing and perfect Disneyland is, but we do take a lot of inspiration from it, just in the kind of, like, spirit of having fun and operations and, like, making everybody feel welcome and special. And, um, and this year we actually have a former Imagineer speaking at Layers this year. His name is Tom Morris. He was the creative director for Cars Land and designed the, the castle in Disneyland Paris. So, so yeah, all that Disneyland stuff, we put it back into the work that we do on Layers. And, and I think that there's a lot of especially, especially design knowledge and stuff to kind of take away from Disneyland and the way that they handle immersive user experience. Awesome. Thanks for uh, joining me today and uh, talking about this stuff. This has been great. Yeah, I, I'll talk about Disneyland anytime. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Fireside.fm, the uh, podcast host for this show. And uh, just a great, simple-to-use app for podcasting. If you're into it, check it out at Fireside.fm. Thanks.